Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a conversation with nutritionist and strength and conditioning coach, Josh Wiggins. Josh and I talk through a variety of topics. We chat about diet culture, myths, overeating, undereating, gut health. We also answer questions directly from the Frey online community. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Josh. I really enjoy hearing from him. He is just a wealth of knowledge, and he's super, super passionate about helping people to feel really, really good in their body. So before we dive into this conversation, I'm just going to take a minute to let you know this episode is brought to you by Esme Skin Minerals. For the last couple of weeks, I've been using the Esme Encapsulated Retinol product And it's brilliant. I've definitely noticed a difference in the texture and quality of my skin. It just seems clearer. And I feel like I've had in salon treatments. It actually makes a difference to fine lines and the look and feel of your skin, which is what you want. When you're investing in skincare, you want to see and feel a difference. So the encapsulated retinol is a brilliant product when it comes to achieving results and helping to just resurface and stimulate the skin. So the reason that the Esme encapsulated retinol is incredible is the formulation. Because it's encapsulated retinol, it is designed to increase skin cell turnover and stimulate collagen synthesis for a fresher and firmer complexion. Who doesn't want that? It is a superior standard retinol because the enhanced bioavailability and stability. The retinol is enclosed in these teeny tiny little capsules, which allows the active ingredient to penetrate deeper into the skin layer before being activated. So this is ideal for sensitive skin because it maximizes skin benefits while minimizing surface dryness and irritation and flaking, which is often associated with a traditional retinol serum. I know when I think of active skincare, my mind kind of goes back to that episode of Sex and the City when Samantha has a skin peel and she's red raw and it looks awful. So if you're a little bit the same, if you're a bit wary of active ingredients and you're kind of a little hesitant, take comfort in knowing that the encapsulated retinol is much more gentle than the average retinal product. And you can always jump online and have a really thorough chat with a skin expert on the Esme website. And 
while you are there on the Esme website, you can use the code Kylie15, all in capitals, for 15% off site-wide, which is a huge saving. And that does include the new encapsulated retinal range. So if you've been on the fence with it, now could be the time. Jump over to the website. That link is in the show notes, or you can just type Esme, E-S-M-I, into Google. It will come up for you and use that code Kylie 15 for 15% off. All right, let's get stuck into my conversation with Josh. Josh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me. I've been really, really looking forward to it. No, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to diving in on these topics. We're going to be covering a lot of topics and I think this episode is going to be really, really interesting for a lot of listeners. But before we dive into some of the bigger topics, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I am a nutritionist. That is what I do for work. I'm also a qualified mental performance coach. So I work with people in their areas of mental limitations, so the things that might be holding them back from achieving their goals, um, usually in the health and fitness field, but also work and life in general. Um, And on the side, I am a strength and conditioning coach. So I work with a couple of our local sporting teams here on the Central Coast to prepare them for the season and for their games on the weekend. So kind of a a triad professional in in the health and fitness field. So I I work with nutrition, mindset and and with training. Busy guy. Yes, yes, absolutely. But I love it. It's my passion for sure. And you came really highly recommended to me via my personal trainer, Sean, because I was kind of expressing some frustration to Sean saying, I'm training and I'm not getting anywhere and there's absolutely no way that I'm overeating, but I'm feeling like I'm not getting results and I'm exhausted all the time and blah, blah, blah. Like basically just going into training and at the end of each workout, kind of having a bit of a whinge to Sean. And Sean kept saying to me, you need to eat more. 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 And then he said, right, you need to actually get in touch with this guy that I know, Josh, and he will be able to help you in working out whether or not you are in fact eating enough whether you're overeating, undereating, all of that stuff. So I reached out to you, Josh, and you and I had a bit of communication backwards and forth. And long story short, it really, really surprised me to find out the amount of food that you recommended I should be eating. Because when you sent it through, I was like, holy shit, this is (laughs) easily double what I was eating. And that's very common. You're not the only one that feels that way, especially if they are looking to to lose weight and they're thinking, how am I going to lose weight eating more food? So you're not alone in that field. But I'm very grateful for Sean's recommendation. He's a great guy. So you've got a really good trainer there um, and grateful for the opportunity to work with you as well. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. I keep saying to him that he needs to come on the podcast and he's like, yeah, we'll do a life episode. <laughs> like, cool, <laughs> I'll get Sean on. He's so funny. Um, but basically I was blown away because the amount of food that you sent through to me, honestly, I don't think that I would have eaten that amount of food in maybe two and a half days prior to right. what you sent through. And I posted about that in the Frey Facebook page just saying like, you know, I'm changing things up. And a woman commented and asked the question, how do we actually know when we're not eating enough? So what are some of the signs? What are some of the giveaways that someone might not be having enough food each day? 
So firstly, I think that's a great question and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it. So I think the first um, few symptoms that people would notice is a general brain fog and fatigue, and that might set on really early, so midday or just after midday. And particularly by 3 p.m., you feel like you've just got no energy. And if you're a busy mom or a busy parent, you have to go and pick the uh, kids up from school when they have lots of energy at the end of the day, they're excited to come home. You might actually feel you're most depleted at that stage. So if that's you and you're feeling this early onset of fatigue, that's not normal. That is not what being a human is supposed to feel like. We're supposed to be pretty energetic right up until those last few hours before bed. So general fatigue is the first sign. I think if you are commonly uh, suffering from sort of colds, flus, viruses, bacteria, it's a sign that your immune system is not functioning well. And that's a sign of under, under eating. So nutritional deficiency, uh, that can be in terms of just overall calories, you're not getting enough energy. So your body does not have enough energy to sort of push towards or fuel your immune system. Or it could be you're not eating enough of your micronutrients. So in both cases, you're not eating enough of something. Uh, the last the last common symptom, there's many other symptoms, but I would say the last common symptom that people might notice is waking up frequently during the night or not being able to fall asleep at all. So when we eat enough food and particularly carbohydrates, so I know we'll probably talk about carbohydrates at some stage in this podcast because there's a lot of uh, nutritional myths surrounding carbohydrates. But when we eat enough food and enough carbohydrates, our body produces serotonin, which is a hormone and it's a precursor to melatonin which is what we need to release during deep sleep to have a really good quality of sleep um, and to wake up sort of feeling refreshed and energized. And for those who love to train and particularly love to train at high intensity and with weights, we need that release of of melatonin, which also uh, comes with the growth hormone in order to feel recovered and ready to go again. So I would say general daily fatigue, frequent colds and infections and lack of sleep or the fact that you're frequently waking up through the night, these are all signs that you are not eating enough in general. Mm, And I can totally relate to that. So many times my girlfriends and I have had conversations where we've said to each other, like we're just so bone achingly tired, particularly around that 3 p.m. kind of time frame, which I guess is when a lot of people would reach for something a little sweeter or maybe caffeinated to perk them up. Absolutely. And that um, it's, it's another issue in and of itself. If you are reaching for caffeine every time that you feel tired, because if you are having that afternoon coffee, you have to remember that caffeine has a, like a half-life of at least 12 hours. So if you're having a coffee at 3 PM, it's still going to be in your system at 3 AM and you're not going to get into deep sleep if you've got caffeine in your system. So if you are needing to reach for that afternoon coffee every single day, you are robbing yourself of more sleep. And then what happens? You need more coffee the next day and the cycle sort of continues. And you just become more and more caffeinated and less and less well rested. And you know yourself and we've all experienced this. When you're tired, your ability to handle any stressful situation or make any big decisions is definitely diminished. And your ability to make the right choices in terms of nutrition is also diminished. So having that afternoon coffee, while it might be okay from time to time, you really have to look at the root cause of why you are feeling tired in the first place You have to remove that coffee and work on your nutritional habits instead. Mm. And I guess perhaps it's worth asking, you know, the other end of the equation in terms of if you're under eating and you're feeling foggy and all of those things, But what if you're overeating, but not necessarily eating well? Because I imagine if you're eating, you know, food that's not nutritionally very valuable and you're eating a large volume of it, you might end up feeling sluggy and foggy then as well. 
Absolutely. There's an energy tax from digestion. So every time we eat, our body has to digest that food and we are burning calories to get that food down. So if you're eating too much food, even too much of the right food, which is possible, we can all overeat as well, you will start to feel sluggish. It will feel a little bit different. You won't be sort of that general fatigue and struggling to sleep. You will just feel heavy, foggy, and a little bit achy. And I think most of us will know if we have have overeaten. However, the foods that you're talking about, these sort of highly processed packaged foods, these sugary foods that some of us reach for when we are tired, they cause what's what's known as a massive insulin spike. So we have this huge rise in blood sugar, this huge rise in insulin, and we feel really energetic maybe for 20 or 30 minutes. But any time the body um, peaks or rises, it has to crash and it has to fall. So usually within an hour after that really happy high feeling, you're feeling worse than before you ate the food in the first place. So that that peak and trough is not what we want with the body. We want to choose those foods that give us longer lasting energy, not that huge rise and that huge fall. Because again, when you get that huge drop off, you feel horrible, you feel miserable and, and people might not want to be around you if you do that on a frequent basis. Mm, and I guess it's just similar to the caffeine cycle then, isn't it? Feel crap. So you might reach for something else that's kind of a bit crappy as well to perk you back up and you just kind of stay stuck in that loop. Absolutely. It's that whole cycle of uh, instant gratification just in a, a nutritional and caffeinated setting rather than the, you know, the social media setting or any other settings that you might think of that instant gratification. And it is, we, we have to look at a longer term solution and treat our body as the only one that we have, because it is the only one that we have. And if you had a really expensive car, you probably wouldn't put the cheapest fuel in it. You're going to have more cars in your life than you are going to have your body. So you should put the best fuel in it at all times. Of course, I'm I'm one for balance and going out and enjoying meals that are maybe off the menu. Um, but if it's something that you're reaching for every single day, I think you're, you're developing a, a bad habit that is going to negatively impact your body. And you mentioned digestion or digestive tax, which I really like that term. Can you talk a little bit with us about gut health? Yeah, I think gut health probably in the last 10 years has has picked up a lot and people are realizing that we are not what we eat, we are what we digest. So you can eat all of the best foods in the world. You can go totally organic and in season and, and follow all the recommendations. But if you're not able to digest that food, it's not that useful to you. So our digestive system is responsible for how we feel at the end of the day, and it's also responsible for our immune health. So we really do have to take care of our guts. Now, how we do that is we we take note of our symptoms. So if you're eating a particular food and you feel bloated or sluggish or you have brain fog after eating a particular food, your body is, is presenting symptoms that, hey, this food is not good for me. I don't really want this. And that it's the most important to recognize what your body is telling you because that's a sign whether or not your gut health is benefiting from a food or is being depleted by a specific food. For those that struggle to lose weight and they're eating you know, really low calories and the other end of the spectrum, those struggling to gain weight, even if they're eating really high calories, quite often what it comes down to is your gut is inflamed, so you have these things known as microvilli, which are almost like little finger-like projections on your gut lining. If they, Their role is basically to help you break down a food and to absorb the nutrients from that food. If they are inflamed, you're not going to get the nutrients that you need from that food, and then you can become iron deficient, magnesium deficient, vitamin D deficient, whatever it might be. Even if you're eating vitamin D or iron-rich foods, because they are not breaking down and absorbing that, which ultimately leads to inflammation. 
if you're inflamed, your body is not going to want to lose weight because it's going to want to survive. So it will hold on to whatever nutrients it can in order to keep you in that survival mode. So an inflamed gut by default has you in that fight or flight. For those out there eating a lot of calories to build muscle, and I know there are men and women with that goal, and you are eating a lot of food and you are not sort of gaining weight, it could also be because your gut is inflamed and you're not absorbing the nutrients from that food. So no matter how much food you push into your body, you're not actually extracting any benefit from it. And by pushing more and more into a body that's already inflamed, you're only further perpetuating that cycle of inflammation and damage. So I think we really do need to take care of our guts. And it starts with just being wary of how your body responds to certain foods and adjusting accordingly. We are all different. Our bodies respond to foods differently. And the diet that works for me, Josh, or for you, Kylie, might not be the diet that works for your listeners out there. So my biggest advice for gut health is listen to your body. Keep eating the foods that make you feel good, the foods that are healthy that make you feel good. I'll add that little caveat. And avoid those foods that are making you feel bloated, sluggish, give you brain fog. Yeah. And that's that's when I think that it's so frustrating, Josh, when you are, and I'll, I'll just speak specifically for me, I have felt so frustrated because on paper, doing all of the right things, exercising, eating healthy, all of those things, but it makes so much sense that if your gut health isn't great, it doesn't really, well, I mean, of course it still matters, but you're just not going to get where you want to be because Absolutely. your body's not absorbing. It's not, you know benefiting as much so when you say inflamed gut does that inflammation just come from things that we're consuming or can that inflammation come from lifestyle factors like stress both so what we're consuming is obviously a direct of course yeah. of course yeah. Yeah. everything it's a split, uh, <laughs> unfortunately yes um just tell me the one thing Josh, yeah, the yeah. One thing. i wish <laughs> just take this pill and you'll be totally fine um, yeah, so definitely lifestyle factors. So food is the direct implicator. So if you're putting something in your body that aggravates your stomach, it will, it will cause inflammation from a physical level. So you can imagine, uh, even just imagine scraping, scraping your knee on pavement. That's the sort of inflammation that we're causing if we're eating something that our gut doesn't respond well with. So we're sort of physically damaging the walls, our gut lining. If we are stressed, we're constantly in that state of fight or flight. Now, that might be caffeine-related or it might just be lifestyle-related. You're doing something that's really stressful each and every day, whether that's work, family-related, whatever it might be. We all stress for different reasons. We're constantly releasing uh, cortisol, epinephrine, and norepinephrine, uh, also known as adrenaline. So these different hormones that get our body going as if we are being chased by someone. You know, We're trying to run away from a bad situation. And if we are constantly in this state of fight or flight our entire body will enter the process we'll have systemic inflammation so it won't just be our guts it will be our joints it'll be the tissues that surround our organs and we'll feel generally horrible all the time so our our gut will suffer as a result it's quite often so people that i work with that that suffer with a lot of stress what i'll actually get them to do before eating is meditate or do some sort of deep breathing work because that will help to get them into a parasympathetic state their body will feel like naturally rested, less less at stress, and they will be able to digest and absorb their foods better. So yeah, you have to take care of your lifestyle and you should never eat, um, if we're talking directly around nutrition, you should never eat when you are feeling super stressed because no matter what you're eating, again, it could be the most organic, in-season, fresh produce, you will not digest it well. It'll just sit in your body and it will, aid, it will add to the inflammation. It won't help to remove that inflammation. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so basically I can never eat again. <laughs> As I said, you could you could simply do some sort of breathing practice. It doesn't you don't have to become Buddha and sit outside on a rock and cross your legs and, you know, curl your fingers into circles. You can just sit before your meal and take a moment to be present. So whether that's doing the, you know, the five, four, three, two, one. So what five things can I see? Four things I can touch, three things I can hear, two things I can smell, one thing can I taste? That's like a present moment awareness drill. Um, or you could do some box breathing. So five seconds in, five seconds hold, five seconds out, five seconds hold. You do with a few breaths like that, your body will naturally default back to the parasympathetic state that rest and digest state. And it's it's termed rest and digest for a reason. That's the state that we are supposed to be in when we're eating to digest our food. So it doesn't mean your life stress will go away, but for that moment, you will be able to digest the food much You're better. sending all of the signals to your body that it's, it's safe. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, which I think will be so helpful for so many of our listeners, Josh, because a lot of them are mums or dads of young children. And I know myself, I am so guilty of eating on the run or eating while I'm standing, like literally like shovel, like shovel food in quickly as if I've only got five minutes to, you know, consume it and then just move on. So I think that will be really, really helpful. Yeah, definitely. I think in those sorts of settings, and look, I've been, I've, I've got a three-year-old and sometimes it's it's madly shovel your food down in between their mouthfuls to get the, get the food um, down for both of you. But I think in those examples, you know, if, you, if you're choosing between eating now and maybe in half an hour after you've done this work task or whatever, maybe maybe sometimes it's better just to wait where you can sit and be present and actually enjoy your food because food food is meant to be enjoyed. It's not just for our physical health but it's also for our mental health it's a time to sit down take a break and enjoy being human Mm. and with gut health are there other things that we should be mindful of I know that things like probiotic and kombucha and fermented foods all have a lot of buzz around them and I've heard different things I've heard experts say you know kombucha isn't great for gut health and then I've heard other people say it's brilliant where do you sit on those sorts of, I guess, gut superfoods? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty old school and pretty basic. I think if you eat the right things and, and by right things, I don't want to get, you know, too complicated. I mean, the foods that are natural, so not necessarily coming out of a box, but are whole foods, in-season fruits and vegetables, some good quality meat if you're a meat eater, or some, some healthful uh, vegan sources of protein such as, you know, tofu or tempeh, whatever you enjoy there. So eating whole foods not eating too much. If you try to eat too much food, you'll you'll generally inflame your stomach. In terms of probiotics and kombucha, I'm not I'm not particularly for it. I think I think probiotics are great if you've had to take antibiotics and you've destroyed your gut flora and gut bacteria. If that's if that's the case and you have a weakened immune system and gut bacterial or microbiome, then yes, absolutely go for the probiotic. But I think general day to day, if you're buying probiotics when you don't have any symptoms of gut distress, I think you're just sort of throwing your money down the drain. I would rather you use that money to to buy a book so you're less stressed, so you can read the book, sit down and relax to a meal, or just eat, um, or to buy better quality produce for yourself. I think food food is always going to be a better medicine than pharmaceutical. Yeah, right. Now you mentioned mental health and I would love to dive a little bit into the mental health, emotional eating kind of aspect when it comes to food because I know myself, I've definitely struggled with disordered eating over the years. In fact, I had a really 
severe eating disorder in my early 20s and I feel as though it's something that I'm always going to have to work at in terms of keeping it controlled. I don't know if that if controlled is the right language, but it is definitely like my default. If I feel stressed in life or out of control in life, my first instinct is to control my food intake. And I know I'm not alone in that. So I would love to know a little bit about your experience when it comes to, I guess, mental health and food. Yeah, definitely. And, and thank you for sharing that with myself and with your listeners. And, and just to put it out there too, I, uh, in my teenage years, I went through a battle with anorexia. So I know the, the sort of struggle that you're talking about. And I also know that it never sort of truly leaves you. There's always that lingering um, thought. I think that you get a better handle on it and you're able to, to grow an awareness around, okay, this isn't me having this thought. This is my you know past coming back to sort of try to tackle me again. Um, so first and foremost, I think anyone that has had a past um, of, of a food-related disorder, think of it as a dance and you and your your past are dance partners and you're trying to work into a nice like synchronization and harmony. You're not trying to dominate or defeat your past, nor let it dominate and defeat you. You just want a nice sort of balance there because you have to acknowledge that that, that thought process is going to stay with you and you just have to know that it's not your enemy, nor is it you. It's not the true you. You're sort of in that that dance. Um, in terms of food-related stress, I think we have to look at the um, the habit loop. And the habit loop goes like this: there is there is a trigger, so something that stresses you. There is a response. So uh, in in our case, in our past, it was food restriction, and then there is a reward. And for us, it was feeling in control. So we can never control the trigger for a habit loop. So something stressful is always going to happen that's going to be out of our control. Our goal is to replace the response and get the same reward from it. So if you become stressed, that's your trigger. What can you do that gives you that same reward or that ultimate feeling of control? In our case, it might be eating a well-balanced meal when it comes to mealtime. Eating a well-balanced meal, despite not feeling like we want to do that, and knowing at the end that, hey, we actually controlled what we put on our plate. It was good for our body. So we won that little that little dance battle. We won that little dance battle. And now we've got the same reward of feeling in control, even more in control of our mind that is perhaps suffering from a, from a past disorder. So I think for most people, think about what your triggers are. Note that you can't control the triggers, but still think about what your triggers are. Think about how you generally respond to the trigger and then think about the reward that you get from that response. Now, again, we can't replace the trigger, but what can you replace in your response that gives you the same reward? That would be my starting point is looking at that habit loop. The other thing that I would bring to mind, sorry, you're going to. No, no, I was just going to say, and it's, I guess, the same thing when people go the other way. So if someone's instinct is not to restrict, but it's to binge, it's yes. the same thing ultimately. Absolutely. So their response might be to binge and what do they get? That They get that huge endorphin release and that feels really good. So the reward there is just feeling really good from all those endorphins. And those people, they may not be overweight, but if we look at the overweight setting from the binge eating in response to an emotional distress, what else can you do that gives you that same reward, that same endorphin release? It might be go for a walk or meditate or read a book or even put on something funny like a comedy, anything that releases that same rush of endorphins but it's not food 
So if you can replace that response and get the same reward, you are you are turning that trigger that usually triggers an unhealthful habit loop into something that's positive and actually serves you. So that would be where I would go. And then I would think about the root cause. So why why is this my default every time this trigger happens? Why do I always go for the food? I'm, and in no way is this following statement meant to belittle our parents in any way. But quite often when we look at food-related disorders in terms of habit loops, it's if you go back in your past when you are when you were stressed or upset, your parents might have calmed you down by giving you, say, a cookie or giving you chocolates or giving you whatever. That's something that you were taught from an environmental standpoint at a very young age. It only makes sense that when we are older and adults and in control, we reach for the th- same things that we were given as children. So that sort of re- that is more in terms of the binging. In terms of the restricting, I think it might be something in your past and something in environmental where you had to rely on yourself in a certain response, so a certain trigger situation. So something stressful happened in your past, your response was defaulting within and having a sense of control for something. And as you've become an adult, maybe it's now restricting food. So look at your past, look at what maybe caused that, and then think about the fact that hey, it is your past and trying to change the past is only impossible. But if you build an awareness around why that is your default mechanism every time something stresses you out, you might get a better understanding of how you got here and, hey, I don't have to do that anymore now that I'm an adult or teen or whoever's out there listening. Now I can do something else. Now I'm empowered to choose how I want to respond to this situation and I'm going to choose something that supports my body, something that is loving for my body and not something that takes me away from where I want to be. Mm, That's so helpful. And I've spoken a little bit about binge eating disorder in the past. I've had a um, eating disorder, like a food coach on the podcast, and I've also just done a solo episode. And I'm pretty sure in those episodes, I spoke about how I like to think of it as introducing a circuit breaker. So identifying that you have this cycle, you have this loop that you go to, whether it is, like you said, trigger, binge, feel out of control, feel terrible about yourself, tell yourself that you'll be better tomorrow and start again, that type of thing. But actually identifying where you can introduce a circuit breaker and perhaps having, you know, like a visual prompt for a circuit breaker. Absolutely. I love that. I'm going to steal that analogy. So thank you very much for that, Kylie. (laughs) I think all yours. (laughs) I think I guess in terms of that setting too, if if the the binge cycle is common for for a listener out there, one thing that I would suggest is do not set huge goals uh, in trying to overcome that. I would suggest yes. set small yes. goals, small winnable goals, and work towards those. So let's say for example, this might apply to a few people, but let's say for example, your actual binging is going towards alcohol. Now I know we're mostly talking about food, but let's just bring alcohol into it. And let's say you normally would have five glasses of wine because, you know, something stressed you out that much that you, you required five glasses of wine. And then the very next day you feel horrible about that. You feel terrible about yourself. And that actual, that feeling of, you know, hatred, I guess, towards self and that stress of having had the five wines is probably actually worse for your body overall than having had the five wines, that stress and that discomfort of self. So set small goals. Think to yourself, Next time I have this trigger or this stressful scenario, instead of five wines, I'm going to have four wines. Still might not be the best response, but it's achievable. And then the next day when you've said, hey, I only had four wines instead of five, that's a win. Rather than feeling horrible about yourself, you now feel empowered. You now feel that you have a better handle of the situation. 
Next time I'm just going to have yeah, three it's... wines. Next time I'm just going to have two wines. Hey, next time just one. Hey, I don't actually need this anymore. I've found something that's more beneficial for my body. So small goals over time rather than having to be perfect because if you are the five wine drinker and you say, I can never do this again, I'm going to have zero. If you then have one the next time, which is still a huge win, you're going to hate yourself for it. You're going to stress yourself out because you said you were going to have zero and you've gone and had one. So set small goals and work towards those. And over time, it is going to be so much better for you and your body. Totally. And something I am forever saying, and people who have listened to podcasts will go, I know exactly what Kylie's about to say, but I'll say it anyway, in case someone's new. My biggest thing is to build confidence, you need to build evidence. And to build evidence, you have to take action. So an action that is small. So say, you know, it is reducing your wine intake by one glass, or perhaps, you know, you have, and I'm going to use a real example here that someone sent me a message about, and I don't think they'll mind because I'm not going to use their name. But um, someone who follows along reached out and said that they have a habit of binge eating in their car and they will go through fast food, you know, like McDonald's or KFC, and they'll go from McDonald's, binge eat that food, go to KFC, binge eat that food in the car, hide the evidence, pay in cash because they don't want their partner to know that they're spending that much money on takeaway. And I was saying to her, rather than saying, okay, I'm never going to do this again, just try and modify the behavior slightly. Like just, you know, if you can throw out the chips with half of the chips still left in there versus having to eat all of the chips, that's a small win. Like that's like building a little bit of evidence that you do have some control in talking back to this behavior that you've started to lean on. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Humans are just so interesting. We are. We are a fascinating species. (laughs) Interesting and confusing, (laughs) but I know a lot of people can relate to that binge restrict cycle. So I just wanted to touch on that. Now, I have a couple of diet myths to go through with you, Josh, and you can let me know whether they are in fact myths or whether they are truths. Sounds great. I look forward to it. All right. So the first one, macros. A little while ago, macros had so much buzz around them. There were all those accounts about if it fits your macros, you have to know your macros, macros, macros. Do we need to understand macros and do we need to be counting and tracking them to get results? I guess I should add. Okay. To get results. I think that we do need to have an understanding of it. However, I don't think we need to overcomplicate it and that is what I think is the, I guess, the myth is people overcomplicating it, needing to weigh every single ingredient and saying like, this is the best way to do things. So I think people need to understand what a protein is, what a fat is. and what. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. What a carbohydrate is, and I guess what the more healthful sources of those are. So for example, a healthy fat being avocado as opposed to chocolate. Um, So I think a very basic understanding of what healthy sources of proteins, carbohydrates and fats are, and then ensuring that in your, your nutritional habits, so your intake, whether you're just eating breakfast, lunch or dinner, whatever it might be, 
that you have a healthy source of each of those within each meal so that your meals are not just purely carbohydrates or purely fats or proteins, but you have a balance of all three macronutrients. That's about as far as you need to go in terms of understanding your macronutrients. It does not need to be more complicated than that. I guess the caveat to that where it does get more complicated is if you are an athlete in a sport and it's very controlled, but to live a general healthy balanced lifestyle, no, you don't need to be super crazy with macros. I'm more focused on the quality of what the macronutrient is rather than the quantity. And yeah, again, that balance. So if you're, I'm, I guess my focus is more micronutrients. As long as you're getting all of the micronutrients that you need every day through those, those major food groups, I'm happy. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, that makes total sense. And I guess that kind of leads into another myth that I have written down here, which is the old calorie deficit. So, so many people will talk about how, you know, if you're complaining about losing weight, that's because you're not in a calorie deficit, calorie deficit, calorie deficit, calorie deficit. And as someone who has been (laughs) in a calorie deficit, um, it's frustrating sometimes when people talk about how that's the only way. So I don't know, what's your stance on the old calorie deficit? I find it infuriating, to be honest, that people okay. throw that out as the as if it's the only tool and it's as simple as that. Of course, eating, if you are trying to lose weight, eating less than what you were before when you were maybe gaining weight, yes, that, that's a good start. Um, but again, the focus should be on the quality of those nutrients. And if you are somebody who has been sort of restrictively eating or in a in a deficit for so long where can you go from there like if I've if I'm working with someone and they're like oh I've only been eating 500 calories for the last two years and I'm not losing weight I can't tell them to eat 400 or 300 because then eventually I'm going to have to tell them to eat negative calories like there's nowhere that they can go from that so they're digging themselves Mm. a very deep hole and it turns out that the body actually needs calories to function so the, the more you restrict... Funny that. Yeah, I know. It's crazy how that works. The more you restrict, the less functionality you're going to have and the more your mental health is going to suffer. We need calories in order to, to perform our tasks. A, a, a key issue with people that only restrict calories when they are trying to lose weight is they now don't have enough energy to actually train at the proper intensity if they are someone who enjoys working out to to get after that goal you don't actually have the energy to push to the intensity that you you can actually lose the weight in the first place so i say for people find a healthy amount of calories if you are calorie counting which again if you have that balance and you are you are happy you don't have to get really strict on the the nitty-gritty and the numbers but find the amount of food that supports you and what you do every day so if you if you like to go for walks find the amount of food that empowers you to go for that walk and feel energized and if you are not losing weight your first point of call is is not to cut down on the food it's to look at you know am I sitting all day can I get up and and go for a five minute walk every now and again can I be slightly more active Uh, is my choice of foods maybe not that healthy could I keep the calories the same but instead of eating a packet of chips to get my carbohydrates could I eat some some fruit or sweet potato so Look at the actual quality of what you're eating. Look at your activity levels in the given day and don't do anything extreme because it turns out that if you are doing an extreme amount of activity or an extreme amount of uh, sort of restricted eating, then your body is not going to perform at any extreme level that you would like it to. And that's going to be in terms of physical performance in the gym or at work or as a parent, whatever it might be. If you are restricting yourself and you are overdoing it with your exercise to try to lose weight, 
you're only going to become frustrated and the results aren't going to come. You have to take care of your body because a healthy body will be the one that works with you, not against you. And can being in a calorie deficit for a prolonged period of time cause damage to your metabolism or is that a myth? It's not a myth. So your body will adjust to the amount of foods that you are giving it and your metabolism will eventually slow down because your body's your body wants to conserve energy. So if you're only, I'm just going to use this as an easy number. It's not a number that I recommend anyone eat. But if you are only eating 1,000 calories a day, your body is eventually going to drop your basal metabolic rate down to about 1,000 calories a day and actually try to get underneath that number because your body wants to net increase energy in order to function. Again, we need energy to function. So if you're living life at 1,000 calories, your metabolic rate's not going to be 1,200 because the body is trying to survive. So your metabolic rate is going to drop to below that 1,000 just so that you can maintain some level of, of homeostasis or balance and activity. Now, if you are in that 1,000 calorie, if you're at that 1,000 calories for a long period of time, your new normal metabolic rate is going to be below that and that's going to be really hard to budge. So when you do increase your calories to say 1,200 but your metabolism is stuck and not flexible at 800 calories, you're going to start gaining weight really easy. So you've, you've worked yourself to the point where it's really easy to gain weight, but almost impossible to lose weight. So yes, you should never stay at a really low intake of calories or in a calorie deficit for an extended period of time, because then trying to establish a healthy maintenance or balance is going to be really difficult. I think that's where I am. <laughs> As you're talking, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like me. So when you say difficult to sort of improve that what are the sort of things that someone <clears throat> me should be doing so I think and look this this might not be your audience or there might be someone in the audience but I think a really good example of this is people who have gotten ready for a bodybuilding show and I'll just talk about this because it's it shows sort of how we get out of that that zone so these are people that come down to extreme lows in calories to to look good on stage for for one day and quite often the temptation is to eat a lot of calories after that because they've been restricted for, for a few months. Now, what I actually do with those, those clients is slowly increase the calories. Now, a lot of people out there are really worried when they hear that. They're like, well, hang on, you just said if I increase calories, I'm going to gain weight really quickly. The goal for that person out there who is so restricted and is on, say, the 1,000 calories is not to jump back up to 1,500 to try to get your metabolism there. It's to slowly increase. So go from 1,000 to 1,100 for a few days to 1,200 you increase it over time so that your metabolic rate has a chance to catch up to, to somewhere that is actually healthy and sustainable. So it's a slow process, but anything in terms of health and for your body, it should be a slow process because we want this body for a long time, not a short time. Um, so a slow increase of calories, but also working on reducing anything that is incredibly stressful for the body. Again, your body is not going to respond the way that you want it to if it is incredibly inflamed. So that might be from doing too much training, having you know too much caffeine, maybe a lack of sleep, maybe not doing enough things to get you into that that parasympathetic rest and digest state. So whether it's you need to do some meditation or read a book instead of you know doing something incredibly stressful. So I think slowly increase your calories from from healthy foods, and maybe slowly decrease in the the crazy activities that you are doing, and try to do things that are more restorative because. Although it sounds counterintuitive, by actually eating slightly more calories in a healthy range and doing less activity, you will find a better balance and you'll probably start to lose that body fat. If that was your goal, 
while still eating more calories and healthier calories. So helpful. Um, Some other myths. Okay. Keto. Is keto the fix-all solution slash lifestyle that it's been promoted to be? Definitely not. I'm sorry if there's any keto people out there. Look, keto... I guess any any diet you can look at as a tool in the tool belt. So there are specific populations that would benefit from following a ketogenic diet for a short period of time, however, not forever. Now, those populations might be people that have had problems with blood sugar, with insulin. They might be coming from a uh, type 2 diabetic background, so sort of floating floating around those sort of categories. But it's not. it's definitely not for everyone and it's definitely not the fix. We are all individuals so there's a there's a term bioindividuality. we are all different and our bodies will respond to foods in a different way so for any diet out there if you were to say veganism is the best or carnivore or paleo whatever it is it's not going to be the best for everyone because we are all unique these are all tools in your tool belt and i guess the only i should say uh, in terms of veganism if you are vegan because of ethical reasons that's great that's fantastic absolutely i wouldn't suggest any other diet for you in that case Um, but if you're doing it because a documentary said this is the best diet to do for your health probably not correct the the truth is balance is the best as as unsexy as that is a healthy balance of proteins carbohydrates and fats that supports what you are doing in your activities of daily living is going to be the best diet for you it's not going to be these extreme ketogenic diets where you cannot eat more than 50 grams of carbohydrates a day or or in many cases in keto the only carbohydrates you can eat come from broccoli and I think that's once a day that's not going to be the um the best dietary solution for everyone definitely not and I guess sort of keeping in the same vein there Josh as extreme you know diets what about fasting I don't I don't dislike fasting. However, again, it's just a tool in the tool belt. It's not something that we should be doing forever. So there are many different types of fasting. I don't think it's healthy to do water-only fasts. I I think that you would have to be in a very specific medical setting. So it's not something that I recommend for anyone. Um, The time-restricted eating, the only eating for eight hours a day, it's a tool in the tool belt and if it helps you with your lifestyle, like if you're super busy for 16 hours and run off your feet and you just can't sit down for a meal but there is a specific, you know, eight hours in the afternoon where you can eat two or three times, that's great. If it works for your lifestyle, that's great. If you're just doing it because somebody told you it was the best thing to do, the chances are it's not going to be sustainable for you nor is it the best thing for you. So I think I think if it if it fits in with your lifestyle and that's what you have to do, then absolutely go for it. It's probably not going to cause you any harm. It may give you some benefit. It may not. But again, it's not the be all and end all. I would say just a healthy balance is is always going to be best. And another one I've got written down here just is about low carb diets. I guess, you know, someone in my age bracket, a lot of us grew up with low carb being touted as the best diet when it comes to weight loss and things like that. I, again, not a, not a fan of low-carb diets as being touted as the best. Look, I earlier spoke about how I believe we should be focusing on our micronutrients more so than our macronutrients. And if you look at micronutrients such as vitamins, A, B, C, D, E, all the way through, and all of your minerals, most of them are coming from plant-based foods. So if you are a low-carb diet, you're not going to be eating fruits and vegetables. You're not going to be eating much of them anyway. You're not going to be eating some of those good whole grains that, that contain a lot of fiber and a lot of niacin and things that we actually need. So when you 
when you take the carbohydrates out of the diet, you're not just restricting yourself from a macronutrient, you're restricting yourself from all of those micronutrients that are attached to those foods. So I, the thought of someone not being able to eat blueberries, for example, because they think it's bad for them, that is really foreign to me. Um, we all need to eat carbohydrates, especially those of us that are active, um, because fiber and, again, those micronutrients, they're really important for our health. And, and going back to way early in the conversation, that that release of serotonin of nighttime, which then is a precursor to melatonin so we can get into deeper sleep, that's attached to carbohydrate intake. So I'll extend the myth out to you can't eat carbohydrates before bed. That's actually not true. It's, it's actually a really good time to eat carbohydrates because you're probably going to get a much better quality of sleep and a much deeper sleep, which then flows on to the next day where you're more energized and able to make better decisions. Mm, there are so many myths. They're just oh, like endless. Absolutely. The, the, the last sort of, um, I guess, diet culture topic that I've got written down here before we dive into a round of quick questions from some of our listeners is about skinny teas and, you know, like your fat blaster or your appetite suppressant type products. I already know that you're going to tell me that you don't like them and I'm with you there, <laughs> but can you speak a little bit about them? Because those skinny teas, like the lack, like the kind of laxative effect type yeah. products, yeah. they're out there. You, you pretty much answered what I'm going to say already. Um, no, look. We all know Josh says no. <laughs> yeah, I say no. And look, just, and not to, this is not to discredit or make anyone feel bad about themselves if they have reached for those products because they are marketed very well. They're very tempting. But if you are drinking a tea that makes you run straight to the bathroom, are you actually losing body fat or are you just losing whatever you just put in the toilet? I'm sorry to, to put it that way, but you're not actually burning body fat. You're just getting rid of water, which you, you need to survive. You're going to drink it later. So you're not getting great results from those products. You're spending a lot of money and you would probably, you would be much better served just buying better quality food or saving your money for, for something fun. So yeah, you can, you can save your money on those products. It's a bit of a faux control, I reckon. Like it just gives you that hit of being like, oh, I've done something to undo some damage. So it just gives you that kind of dopamine hit of, yep, I'm doing something and it's kind of easy to do. Yeah, exactly. Look, I, I don't, I don't want anyone to feel bad for trying those things because they are very tempting. But again, like long-term results and, and overall general health, like it, think about it this way. If you're drinking something that makes you run to the bathroom within half an hour, can that actually be good for your body? Probably not. Awesome. Now I have a couple of questions here that were posted in our Frey Facebook group, which for those listening, anyone can join this group. It's just a community on Facebook for people who listen to the podcast and want to share their thoughts and feelings and ask questions. So Josh, I know that we've been chatting for a while, but I thought if it's okay with you, we could run through these kind of rapid fire style. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So question one, where to start with healthy eating after suffering from a depressive episode? My rapid fire answer would be reduce your intake of packaged foods and reach for quality fresh in-season produce. Brilliant. And we've, we've kind of covered this, but that one of the questions was surrounding losing weight without tracking. Yeah. Again, go Aim for a balanced diet that supports what you do and, and nothing in excess. 
Number three, can you speak a little bit about the changes in a woman's physiology and how those changes can impact weight gain slash weight loss? I guess what this woman's speaking about is, you know, when we go through different stages of life, it does seem to be harder, you know, to lose weight or perhaps put on weight. Yeah, definitely. So as we age, our metabolic rate slows down. So going back to that that energy equation, I guess that we touched on briefly with the deficit, if you are now burning less calories than you were, say, 10 years ago, but you're eating the same amount, by default, you're going to weigh a little bit more because you are burning less. So your metabolic rate will slow down. In terms of being female, your hormonal cycles affect your holding of water. So when we have more estrogen in our body, estrogen is a fat storing hormone. So we'll generally store more fat and hold more water. It's actually healthful. Sorry, I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but I think this viewer gets... No, go for it. Um, it is healthy for a female to have a little bit extra body fat than a male because you you guys have to support life. So that's that's amazing in and of itself. So do not think for one second that you have to try to get as you know as lean as maybe a guy on the beach. Don't don't compare yourself. Two different two different genders there. So yeah, as we age hormonally, your body will want to hold on to a little bit more body fat. It will hold on to a little bit more water, and your overall metabolic rate will slow down to sort of counter what the body naturally wants to do and I guess it's not countering the body but just be more mindful of what you are eating maybe you can't eat as much or maybe not even as much but maybe you can't get away with the same foods that you could get away with at a different stage of life and that's okay now you've got the opportunity to choose those healthy foods that are going to support you moving forward so if anything you just need to be a little bit more mindful of what you are putting into your body but you're going to be better served for it. And what about strength training for that sort of thing as well? Yeah, 100% recommend strength training. I know some some females in particular are a little bit wary of it because they believe they're going to turn into, you know, the Hulk or Arnold. Look, I've been training with weights for years and I still don't look like either of those people. So that's not how it works. Um, but strength training, not only is it good for, for muscle gain and the more muscle that we carry and you'll carry it in a nice sort of lean, shapely way. But the more muscle that our body possesses, the the higher our metabolic rate is and the more calories we burn at rest. So if you are, if you do have a nice sort of lean physique or you, you do build a little bit more muscle, your body by default is going to be burning more calories at rest. So you, you won't be gaining body fat in that aspect. But also as we age and our body changes, typically we lose bone mineral density. When you are training with weights, you are going to actually be building bone mineral density, which is going to help you in those later years of life if you you know you have a fall you are less likely to have fractures so you're going to be stronger you are likely going to have a healthier metabolism and you're going to be better protected into your later years of life so I recommend strength training for everyone mm, okay next up I this is one that I actually asked for more context because I wanted to make sure that I was really asking the question that this woman wanted me to ask on her behalf. And so the question went along the lines of moving your body slash eating well without feeling like you're doing it to conform to beauty standards. And so I asked her for a little more information and she said that she often feels an internal battle of, am I doing this because I hate my body? because I've been conditioned to think that a certain size or body shape is more attractive, or am I doing this to feel good and nourish myself? She said that she's not sure about whether it's guilt or not, but she wants to love and appreciate her body and eat well while making changes, but also wants to love herself and appreciate herself the way she is. She said she's struggling to make it kind of make sense, but I I think I understand what she's saying here. 
she's basically just having that internal battle of going like she wants to look good she wants to feel good but kind of like fuck the patriarchy should I be doing this <laughs> <laughs> look I think she I think that's a great question and I absolutely love the thought process and I think she almost answered the question for herself in in her explanation um, yeah but yes definitely exercise is not a, a punishment for something that you have done that is wrong it's a celebration of what your body can do if you can run five kilometers or sub in your own number there that's great like that's amazing that your body can do that it's not you're not doing it to say oh no I ate McDonald's last night you're doing it to say hey how awesome is this I can actually run this distance in terms of your mindset when you're exercising or, or when you're eating healthy you need to establish a why and a goal so you're you're eating to support what your body does and to nourish your body so that you can have good quality of conversation because your brain is now functioning better you can have good quality sleep you can have the energy to do the things that you want to do so that's why we're eating we're not eating to to look a certain way I try to teach people that how you train and how you eat is for performance in what whatever you want to do and your physique is a side effect of that that's that's not the focus so think about your why if this particular lady is a parent it might just be that you are trying to show healthy uh, eating habits and exercise habits to your children so that they grow, they lead a, a healthy and happy life. That might be your why. But come back to a why that actually means something to you. And no, you don't have to do it for anyone else. You know, Instagram, as much as it's a, a very tempting thing for us to go on and scroll and compare ourselves to others, that's not the be all and end all. And that's not real life. As long as you are comfortable in your own body, it doesn't matter what someone that you have never met before on the other end of a phone thinks of you as long as you're comfortable in your own skin. So your goal should just be to be healthy, to be happy and to perform and, and not to sort of get into shape because of some sort of societal norm. And to be honest, I don't know what the norm is because there's so many different people out there, different body types out there, and that's great. If we're all the same, it would be super boring. Mm, it sounds a little bit to me like that battle of the intrinsic versus extrinsic goals. So just yeah. really focusing in on your intrinsic goal, your why, as Josh said, and keep coming back to that. I think that will be helpful in kind of quietening down that internal battle, which I so relate to. Like when I read her saying internal battle, I'm like, that's my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know it's it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but but for this particular person and for anyone that's listening, um, I believe it was Garanda Dust that said that Criticism, comparison, and complaining, the three C's, they're the three cancers of the mind. Criticism, comparison, complaining. So as Kylie was saying, Ooh, that's a good one. think about your why and, and do it for yourself and do it for, again, if you're a parent, show your kids healthy habits. It's not about the, the physique. It's about how you function and the physique is a side effect of that. Brilliant. Um, next up, this is kind of, I guess, I don't know, it's not so much as a, of a question as it is, I think, someone just perhaps needing some guidance and support. It said, I feel like I overeat every day, such as I can consume a full party-sized bag of chips, but I still want more. Um, she said that she still goes looking for more food after consuming something like that. This is... This is probably where I come back to with a lot of people that say, how can I eat more food and lose weight? The foods that are not healthful, such as the big bag of chips, they are super calorie dense. So you're getting a lot of calories out of it, but you're not getting any beneficial, beneficial nutrients out of it. So the people that I actually make eat more, what we are eating more of is foods that are making us feel satiated. So foods that are rich in protein. So protein makes us feel satiated. So in other words, full, satisfied. 
And, and our vegetables and fruits that are full of fiber, which is another nutrient that makes us feel full. So it turns out like when we eat healthy foods, we, we do feel full, we do feel nourished, and we do feel satisfied. Whereas when we're eating a bunch of junk, we're getting more calories than someone who's eating a much bigger meal that's full of healthy micronutrient-dense foods. So we're getting more calories, we're gaining the weight, but our body is not getting any of the micronutrients it needs. So it's still searching for something. It still wants something else. So you're being in tune with your body, you just, well, maybe not being in tune with what your body really needs. You're getting a signal from the body that you haven't got what you need to survive or to thrive. We need something else. So it's a matter of what you are choosing there. But I would say to this this person and anyone else out there, if you could try for a week to eat a really balanced diet full of sort of healthy, natural foods and cut down on the processed and packaged foods, you'll probably find that you are full and you are balanced and that you're not going to be reaching for those foods that are not serving you. Uh, if we were to talk about, say, going back to the keto diet, again, I'm not recommending this for for anyone, but one one point that some of the authors of the keto books make is if you eat say a, a packet of chips you like the, it tastes good but you're not satisfied you're more likely to reach for like another packet of chips or another snack whereas if you eat a meal that in, in the keto world would be say steak and avocado you're not likely going to be saying to yourself oh I want to eat another steak like you're not going to want to go through that process you're going to pretty much finish the meal and feel satisfied so yeah to counter that overeating of unhealthy foods go with healthy produce and turn like you will probably find that the protein and the fiber from that food will will slow down your appetite and you won't be reaching for those those foods that aren't great Mm, And I think something else worth mentioning when it comes to processed food like a bag of chips is something that I remember hearing on a podcast and then I continued this conversation in a personal conversation with a food scientist. So I was conversing with a food scientist and I was saying to him, I don't know really what it is that you do, but... I imagine it has something to do with making food addictive because I had heard on another podcast um, a conversation about creating foods that are addictive where people, food scientists, add just the right amount of, you know, salt, um, sugar and fat to make it super addictive and they don't put enough natural ingredients in because it would be too satisfying. And the example that I remember was they were speaking about like an orange flavored chocolate. And there was this sweet spot of realizing if they put too much natural orange flavor in, people were satisfied after two squares of chocolate. But if they reduced that amount of natural orange, it was just enough to make it addictive that people felt like they had to eat the whole block to feel satisfied. Yeah, right. I, I hope you told that food scientists how evil they really are. No, I'm joking. Um, yes, but it, yes. it does make it was sense. On a, it was on a dating app, yeah. so I just unmatched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you tell the like. I I guess it's it's a chemical way of tricking the brain, and and that's what I mean. Like, it, yeah, sometimes it happens without meaning to. For example, if you were to eat a whole apple, you probably wouldn't reach for another whole apple, but you could drink a juice that has maybe 10 apples squeezed into it. And it's because you're taking the fiber, that that satiating nutrient out of the food and just drinking the juice or the sugary part of that food. So it's very easy to overconsume the calories, but underconsume the actual beneficial nutrients. Yes. And I just wanted to really highlight that, particularly for this woman who's saying that she feels poorly after eating a whole bag of chips. 
she's up against scientists that have worked out the sweet spot of making this food (laughs) super, super addictive, you know? Like it's not an easy thing to go, oh, I'm just going to stop after one chip. Yeah. Look, I might be showing my age a little bit here, but I'm picturing the the whole Austin Powers, Dr. Evil laughing in the background once he's made this. Yeah, totally. We can't refuse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the last two questions, I think I can probably link in one. The first one was about postpartum weight loss. A woman saying she had a baby six months ago, but she's struggling to lose the last eight kilograms. Her past old tricks, um, I guess old things that she's lent on perhaps to get results are not working to lose the baby weight. And then the other question after that is about effective weight management for polycystic ovarian syndrome or thyroid issues issues so I'm I'm thinking perhaps you know it might be a similar answer for both of those or am I wrong I guess similar like the the difference would be for the for people that have just had a a baby whether it's one month six months or a year firstly you got to take away that pressure of getting back to what you were before because you're you're now a mother and you're providing nutrients for a baby so you are going to be different for some period of time and if you throw into that the lack of sleep that you're getting. I talked about the growth hormone before and how when we're in deep sleep, we release growth hormone, which is good for muscle recovery and for burning fat. You're not getting that anymore. So your your body is kind of working against that weight loss goal for now. Um, I don't mean that to sound discouraging, but yeah, it could take a year. It could take a year and a half, but don't put pressure on yourself to get back to what you were because before you weren't a mother providing life, or maybe if you've had a child before than you were, but in this case, you weren't. Um, so, so celebrate and recognize who you are now and know that you can get back there. It's just going to take some time. Um, and then I guess the similar answer for both cases is, again, be mindful of the foods that you are choosing to nourish yourself with. So women with polycystic ovaries, they should reduce their intake of sugar because your body will become inflamed every time that you sort of consume sugar at a higher and faster rate than for someone not dealing with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um So, yeah, be mindful of the foods that you are eating. Try to reduce your sugar intake. For the person um, struggling with thyroid issues, I would recommend making sure that you are hitting your sort of lean protein and fiber intake for the day. So you, like, don't have to get down into the science of the numbers, but making sure that you are having a source of protein and fiber with each meal because the thermic effect of food, meaning we expend more calories when we eat these foods, like the thermic effect of protein and fiber is higher than any other nutrient. So you are kind of countering the fact that your thyroid hormone is not allowing you to burn as much calories or burn as much fat anymore. So I I guess the overarching answer is reduce your intake of sugary foods and increase your intake of foods that provide rich sources of protein and fiber, which again comes back to natural fresh produce. I hope that answers each of those questions. It does. Thank you. You have been so informative today. I've really enjoyed hearing from you. And I think that the theme from this conversation really seems to be about honoring your body because it is the only one that we get and kind of just letting go of a lot of the diet culture and leaning into more sensible, um, sustainable behaviors when it comes to eating and training yeah absolutely and I'm glad that message came across because as we talked about with the uh, the food scientists a second ago the marketing behind diets has become so great that we now think that it's so overcomplicated, and we sort of feel powerless to all this information like we are we are sort of dying from that 
paralysis by analysis situation where there's so much information out there. A lot of it is conflicting. But if you strip things right back, as long as you're eating a balanced diet full of healthy foods that supports your activities of daily living, you're going to get great results. And the fact that you're not stressing about it and overthinking it is going to be even better because the less stressed you are, the happier you are, the better you sleep, the better person you are to be around. So strip it right back to the basics and you will be fine. Amazing. Josh, where can our listeners connect with you? Where can they hear more from you? I know you've got some great videos over on your Instagram. Yeah, thank you. So only only through Instagram for me. I did used to have a website, but I found that people really connect through Instagram. So I'm I'm on Instagram at underscore Josh Wiggins and always happy to answer any questions that your listeners have for me. <laughs> you might regret that. You're about to get inundated with questions. <laughs> <laughs> there That's will be right. a lot of people that will jump over and want to hear from you. All right. Well, I, well I again, Josh, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.